Well, hello, and here we're going to finish up our introduction to the book of Revelation and get into the messages to the seven churches that were in Asia. Uh, we ended last week with a lot of scriptures, and I put the, the notes in the comment section. We will be rearranging these to um, playlist and getting the notes in a better position. And there's a wonderful fellow trying to help me with this, but Google's giving us fits. So we're, we're just going to get it together and make it work. And a new uh, YouTube channel will be showing up soon, but I'll talk about that maybe in a week. Just be looking for another announcement. All right. Let's just wrap it up. We ended up with a lot of scriptures from Revelation that showed that this book is saturated in worship. And that worship means a lot more than songs and a sermon and even the communion and the prayers. No, all of those things are, of course, so very important. But what worship really is about is orientation. Who are you focused on? Where are you looking? And faith. Orientation and faith, if it's in the right direction, uh, yes, worship will then result. Not because God needs to be told how wonderful he is. It's that we need to realize how wonderful he is in that God is really the central fact of the universe. That said, I want to just let you know that the book is also full of something called blessings. If we, um, and I'm going to try to do this by looking down and up. This will be more like a Bible class than a sermon because you're not going to see scriptures behind me or the like. And I will uh, do my best to get these notes uh, squeezed into that 5,000 character limit that uh, they like to put on us here at Google. Um, let's just do that, all right? It is about blessings, the seven blessings of Revelation. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Then you can go all the way uh, to chapter 14 and you pick up more blessings. It goes on and on. Chapter 16 um, has, then uh, there's chapter 19, chapter 20. They will say, blessed be, and you, you look and there's a blessing. Chapter 14, for example, uh, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. Skip over to chapter 16. 16 and verse 15. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. You might be wondering, what's that all about? Eh, we're not to chapter 15 yet, so hang on. Um, keep your clothes on. And chapter 16, by the way. Keep your clothes on. Uh, chapter 19 and verse 9. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. And since we're doing these, we may just keep going. How about in chapter 20 and verse 6, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. What's the first resurrection? Oh, we're not to 20 yet, but I'll give you a little spoiler alert on that one. When we are baptized, it is uh, Romans chapter 6. It is a symbol, and it is an acting out of death, burial, and resurrection. 
first resurrection are those who respond in faith, those who are baptized in Christ, they put on Christ. And the Bible says, blessed are those who get that done, because then the second death has no power over them and there are some really wonderful things coming. Uh, we'll talk more about that as we get closer in. Chapter 22 um, has two of the blessings. Verse seven, look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Keeping words of prophecy, does that mean just preserving the book? No, it means um, listening to it and learning from it. So that's what we're going to try to do, even though it wasn't written directly to us. We can still listen to it and learn quite a bit. Same chapter, verse 14, 22 and verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. As I've said before, uh, and you can read, it's a pretty thick book, Bonhoeffer's Ethics, or you can do a hundred and, I, I'm assuming maybe a hundred and forty page, very easy to read, but life-changing summation of Bonhoeffer in uh, Gregory Boyd's book, Repenting from Religion. I think that should be required reading for anybody who stands up to speak for Jesus. Seriously, it needs, it needs to be read. Repenting from Religion, Gregory Boyd. Uh, and Amazon doesn't give me a kickback. You'd think after all these years they would. But there is never an opportunity for humans. There's never a welcome or an invitation to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because in scripture, the people who ate from that did so, they will be like gods, deciding what is right and what is wrong. And that's what people do, and they call themselves Christian. And they'll say, yeah, I'm a bit of a glutton. I'm a, I'm, yeah, I eat too much. Yeah, I'm a bit of a slothful person. I don't do that much. And yeah, I do lay up treasures on store for myself here on earth. And but, but, but I'm not one of those homosexuals or I'm not one of those people that uh, believes there's the Pope in Rome speaks for Jesus. We all pick. Our sins are okay. Completely understandable. God's got that. Your sins, boo, hiss. That's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're never invited to that. The blessing is to be invited to the other tree, the tree of life. It's amazing how many people miss that. They think the sin in the Garden of Eden was just, oh, they blew it and ate the wrong fruit. No, 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 no. It's that they cursed us with growing up with these judgmental attitudes and judgmental hearts. That said, where are, all the, where are all these blessings going? Well, the wellspring that would send this river of blessing over us is Christ. And the entire book of Revelation is about where to put your eyes. Look at Jesus. He's the source. Not anything else. Not an election. Not a nation. All nations have one thing in common. They will fall or they have fallen. Those are your two options. It's just nothing is eternal but Christ. So we keep our eyes on Christ. Now that makes this a very uncomfortable book for conservatives, for liberals, for libertarians, for anarchists, for any of these, because this is not going to cater to who you want to vote for and what kind of politics you have. In fact, if you pay attention, um, 
the scripture is going to insult your political views, no matter what they are, uh, because Jesus just would not play in a box. He had his own way of going about things, and he told us to follow him. Probably would be a good idea. This message of the church is, and the message of the book, we have a God already. We shall have no other gods before him. The end of time is dealt with in the book of Revelation, but no date, no era, no millennium, none of that. None of that's given. It's just a preview, a trailer of coming attractions, just to keep us facing in the right direction. So it's not there for us to go, oh, okay, now. No. And people have been going, oh, okay, now for 2,000 years. Stop it. Everybody's been wrong. You are too. Stop it. And if, by the way, you think, no, no, it's really coming. He's coming right now. Then he won't because he said when he comes back, he'll surprise everybody. So if you're looking for him, Bucky, he's not showing. Let's not assume we're more special than anybody else in 2,000 years of history. Okay. There is a God. You're not him. You are alive. You will die. If you belong to Christ, you won't really die. That's pretty simple. Seems like we could live with that. Moving on, our normative state on a planet, the book of Revelation shows us, is war. And our weapon is love. Our normative state is war. When something bad goes wrong in your life, we tend to blame God. I mean, our microwave breaks. So we go, where is our God? You know, um, but then we lose our job or a kid dies of cancer or we have our third miscarriage and that's a lot, there's nothing funny there. And I'm not gonna put any humor to that. That's brutal, that's gut-wrenching. The floor drops out from under you and everything in the world hits you on the way down the hole. And the book of Revelation will say, God's still God, this is normal. This is what happens on earth. Hang in there because earth is not where you end up. Certainly not this iteration of earth. It may be a renewed earth. It might be off-site somewhere in the, beyond the universe. I don't know. You don't know. But we trust that God's got our best at heart and he'll handle it. We don't have to figure that part out. The message in the book of Revelation also says, while all of this is going on, continue to love. Do not assimilate with the culture. Do not assimilate with any earthly culture. We are to be assimilated into the culture of Jesus Christ and call others to be assimilated there as well. Because the fact is all nature, I'm sorry, all nations, all cultures are immoral in one way or the other. They are idolatrous. They are empire driven. It is a death culture, abortion, killings, calls for killings, warfare. God has called us to a different life. To make sure Christians understood what God required of them, this book was written in a language that many of them understood because they were Jews. The majority of Christians in the first century, arguably the second century, were Jews or were at least extremely familiar with the Jewish scripture. Because the Jewish scripture is all they had um, for most people. Uh, for hundreds of years. And then most people didn't even have a Bible for well over a thousand years. 
So it's not the jots and tittles of the Bible. And if you're giggling right now, it means you don't know what a jot or a tittle is. Those aren't what saves us. What saves us is our faith in Jesus Christ. But they understood the language here because they knew Daniel, Zechariah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Yeah, Ezekiel, it's a weird book. They knew Jeremiah. They knew Lamentations. They knew those books. So they understood the allusions, the metaphors, the, the style of language that was being used. And there are seven, get used to that number, seven big themes here. And I get this from a book called Reading Revelation Responsibly. And the name of the author has just now escaped me. I do apologize to the author. Um, Reading Revelation Responsibly is, um, is a really powerful book. And it hits pretty hard. I wouldn't agree with everything that he says in it, but that's only fair. It's only fair because he doesn't agree with everything I would say. All right. But love the book. And he lists the seven themes this way. The throne. God is God. Jesus Christ is at the right hand, the Redeemer. The reality of evil and empire. Evil's real, and governments feed off of it and feed off of the fear it causes. Temptation to idolatry and immorality. We are natural born idolaters. We idolize sports stars, fictional characters like comic book heroes. And all Hollywood actors are fictional characters. It amazes me when one of them wants to lecture on morality or upon scripture or upon government. And I'm going, you make your living pretending to be somebody else, reading words that were given to you by somebody else in an emotion that was given to you by somebody else. That's your life. But we idolize them. Oh, I saw this person. So excited. All right, the call to faithfulness. Scripture tells us to be good citizens and that governments are necessary, but that our participation with all that entails is not necessary. Whenever the government does anything or says anything which goes contrary to the, the spirit, law, and example of Jesus, we go with Jesus. More later. Five, worship driven by our vision. This is not a vision statement. This is not some a logo or slogan. This is our vision of Christ. Our worship is based in reality. If I sing, you are good, good, you know, Lord, Lord, I'm not just singing it because I'm supposed to sing on a Sunday. I'm singing it because he really is good. Even when our normative state is warfare and pain, we know where we're going. We know who he is and we call him good. And then witness. Now, not knocking on doors and street preaching, although I'm not really opposed to either of those things, I guess. Instead, it is living a Christ-like life. As uh, one man told me probably 40 years ago now, and I have just I absorbed it, and that is love people until they ask you why. That's pretty powerful stuff. And so I have shamelessly taught that to everybody that I come across. Love people until they ask you why. And then talk to them about Jesus. I had a neighbor once in one place we lived, had no interest in Jesus or the church. And whenever we started having a group of people over to the house once a week to study scripture, they, they weren't interested. Even though another neighbor and a couple of others came in, no, they're not interested. Years later, they came to me and they said, hey, we thought you'd like to know we're going to, and they named a church up the road. 
Uh, I forget the denomination, doesn't really matter. <coughs> and I said, that's fantastic. Uh, what attracted you there? And as a, as a conversation unspooled, it was, they watched the way that Cammy and I treated each other. And uh, they looked upon us as the nice old couple in town, I guess. And they wanted, to, they wanted to grow up to be that old couple. I walked in and told Cammy, I said, we're the old couple. And she just smiled. You know, she'll never age, but man, does she hit me with the old age stick. And then the last, judgment and salvation. We believe that God will judge others. And salvation is in his hands, not ours. As we read Revelation, it's crucial that we take our eyes off of ourselves and our surroundings, including our politics and our pain and the viruses or whatever it is. Take your eyes off of that and put them where they belong, on Jesus our Lord. Of course, he is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Lion of Judah, and the Slaughtered Lamb. Remember that Revelation was written by a first century writer, and therefore it's going to use first century allusions. We've talked a bit about this, like plays at the time. Um, plays at that time started with a peek behind the curtain so that you would see something that um, there was some, some foreshadowing and the like, but you were given some information that the, the main characters didn't have. So Revelation 1, I know it says Revelation 2 on the title there, but we had two intros to Revelation, so I figured that was enough of that. Revelation chapter 1, just that opening scene. Um, let's see. Do I want to go there? No. I want to go, yeah, yeah. Verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, there were seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstand was someone like a son of man. In other words, he looked like a, a person dressed in robe, reaching down to his feet, and a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a, in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, bull-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. I saw him. I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look. I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. Ooh, that's a good opening, that is. I'd read that book. In fact, I have, and I bet you have too. Every message will be delivered in this book in the style of an imperial edict. The people who read this were very familiar with the way plays worked and imperial edicts. Therefore, the writer uses those forms, and they are forms, they are formulas. You know exactly what's going to happen. It, maybe not know the way it's going to happen, but you know what the end result will be. I, I can remember when the first Indiana Jones movie came out and my wife and I went to see it in a little, little village in the west of Scotland called Kilmarnock. I think they'd call it a town. Let's, let's not insult the Kilmarkians here. But Kilmarnock was, um, was our closest theater that was showing it, so we went. And uh, in the opening scenes, Indy gets himself into some trouble, and their little guy next to me grabbed my arm. Now, you don't do that in movie theaters, and you don't do that to me, period. It's just, um, you know, no. But he did, and he was basically just a coat with a hat on. I couldn't see much there. And he said, do you think he'll make it? And I said, 
It's five minutes in, and they named the movie after him. I think you'll make it. You see, we understand the formula. We know all the trials win. Maybe wounded, maybe broken, maybe not the win we wanted, but win, right? The same formulas are used here that were used in their imperial edicts and in the plays. So there's this is usually lost on us, so I wanted you to have it. Let's look at the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands and walks among the golden lampstands. We know who he is because we read chapter one. It's Jesus, all right? This is what he says. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. That's a good skill to have. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Okay, it's all good. It's all good. We can all relax now, do some high fives. Oh, wait, hang on. There's more. Yeah, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That doesn't sound optimal. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree. What tree? Which tree? Oh, the tree of life. Always, that's the blessing, which is in the paradise of God. And it kind of neat how that story bookends the Bible. Ephesus was a port city of about a quarter of a million people. Now, please remember, this is back when London was about 300 people. A quarter of a million people. Temples were all over the city. Most of them... Um, dedicated to Artemis, also known as Diana, uh, the goddess of the hunt, fertility, childbirth, and all that sexy stuff. Her main, oh, oh, they had a temple to the emperor of Rome there, of course, every, every city did. Her, um, this was her main temple. This is Diana. Remember, greatest Diana of the Ephesians. This was Diana's hometown, right? They had not bowed down to Artemis, and they had not given in to culture. They had compromised something in their life though they lost their love it doesn't matter if you do all of the acts of worship it's always interesting when that's defined on a sunday in an approved place in an approved manner with an approved name on the door and then matter where's the love where's the love that's how we know we're christians by our love not by well you got those doctrines right Therefore, you're a Christian. You're known by your love. Love should be on a t-shirt. It should be tattooed on our hearts. And I know what you're asking here. What about the Nicolaitans, Patrick? They're a bit of a mystery. And, and I've read some books where they say, well, here's what they believed. But the fact is we have no early evidence of what they believed. Um, we have some later writings that they make sense, but... I think what you have to do there is call that an educated guesses, and it's not history. The edu educated guesses is antinomian. In other words, they believed that since Christ had come and taken away the, a lot of the legal code that the Jews were under and replaced it, that he had taken away everything else too. So they could do whatever they wanted to because they were saved, and they, they knew Jesus, and Jesus was going to take care of them. So they they 
a lot of sex was involved in those type of groups. Um, a lot of greed, a lot of mistreatment of other people, and they would claim, hey, we're covered by grace. No, you're not. Not when you intentionally rebel and harm others. Um, we're known by love to divide over doctrine, ever. Look it up. It's in, you got the same book I do. But he did tell us to divide when somebody spoiled their witness to Christ by consistent repentant, uh, sorry, consistent non-repentant de defying and denying God. So, in fact, in the Bible, there are only three things I can find that basically say your baptism doesn't work anymore and you've fallen from grace. Denying that Jesus is the Christ, completely understandable how that wouldn't go over well. Um, and then persistent immoral behavior that you're not repentant of. Um, yeah, remember Corinthians, the guy that married his mother, probably not his blood mother, but still icky. And then the third, people who divide churches. That's what heretic means. Heresy was a Greek term for divisive. You see, I don't really care what you believe about the millennium and probably don't care that much about what you believe about a lot of stuff. But if you treat others poorly because they don't agree, that's a problem. That's heresy. So just be, be aware of that. Keep your eyes on Christ. Let him do all the sorting. You don't need to be doing that. By the way, that doesn't give anybody license to declare every bit of their favorite doctrine to be the be all and the end all. Because he says, no, no, no. Back away from this. Back away. God's very particular in what he says and what he does not say. Uh, sexual sin can certainly be forgiven. And we all you know, release a very happy whoof at that because God forgives sins. But when we live as if there were no law, that's a problem. We become outlaws and it threatens the role of God in our life whenever we mess up our witness and refuse to stop messing it up. And again, I'm not judging addicts. I'm not judging those who have been forced into sex work by traffickers. I'm not, why would I do that? God knows their situation. God knows their compulsions, their drives or whatever it is. And I trust God. I trust him to show love at every possible turn. Why is love the driver? And we'll do this as we wrap this up, okay? I'm looking over, it's 26 minutes, it's a bit long. If I love you, I will not take your stuff. If I love you, I will not harm you. I will not intrude upon your privacy. I will not misuse you sexually for my own pleasure uh, or for yours or for what any other reason. I will not misuse your stuff, I will not I will not misuse your name and your reputation. If I love you, I will do everything I can to keep you in my community, for you are in the community of God. And therefore, if I want to be in the community of God, I will love you. I'll find a way. I'll, I'll find a way. And just a reminder, cautionary note, and but we're going to leave the book to go to a different book, all right? Uh, one of the first books written was 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to read from both 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. 1st Thessalonians chapter, um, where are we going to be here? I don't even have it written down, and I just knew it so well. Those of you who know me well are right now going, yeah. Uh, here we are, 
uh, chapter 5, starting at verse 12. And again, this is a bit long, and I've gone long. So again, you're, just read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 through 24. That's your homework. There won't be a pop quiz. All right. But it says, work, honor those who work on your behalf, your ministers, your, your elders, your whoever it is, your Bible school teachers, whoever works on your behalf for Jesus, honor them because they're doing a hard job. And then encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, rejoice always, don't quit. And, and just a list, a bullet list of things we should be doing. And frankly, if we're doing those, we're gonna be too busy to be haters and uh, post nasty stuff on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse six uh, says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's pretty, okay, paying attention now. We command you, got it? Brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who's idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. It's not about the doctrine. It's about are they living a life of love? Or are they nasty? Or are they self-serving? Uh, are they worshiping the idol they see in the mirror? I mean, you, you just you don't have to divide from them saying, you know, be gone from me, foul beast. It's just don't follow that. Follow Jesus. And then verses 11 through 16 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, once again, um, don't be busybodies, don't be gossips. Keep your nose in your business and love one another. What a concept. I look forward to our next time together. Until then, cheers.